Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti, and uh, we're doing something a little different today. We're actually going to do and start um, a series of book studies. Uh, we're going to try to do four a year, um, and the idea is uh, that uh, um, there's a, a concept out there that men don't read, and we're going we're gonna to change that. Uh, because we read and we want you to read uh, as uh, men who are growing and developing in their faith and in their walk. And so we're going to try to pick four books a year. Um, one of the books is going to try to be kind of just a general manhood book, which is what we're starting with. Then we're going to try to move on to uh, marriage and family. We're going to try to do a cultural issue. And then we're going to try to do kind of like a biography, something like that. So that's kind of the plan for the year. Uh, if you stick with us, you'll be reading four books. Um, I'll tell you what our next book is going to be. So you can already be thinking about that, right? Go buy that book. It's Tim Keller's uh, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, and so uh, you might want to order that and do that because we'll be talking about that probably in October. But for this Coming up, um, and by the way, these are going to be released on Friday. So our normal training for manhood uh, are released every Monday morning. Um, this is going to be in addition to that, so we're going to release them on Friday. So it's a little bit different, um, but uh, anyway, we're having fun with it. But today we're going to be talking about Wild at Heart. Uh, it's a John Eldridge book. It's, um, if I remember correctly, um, he and Brent Curtis started writing books, um, and then uh, Brent passed away, and, and Eldridge uh, kept on going with it. And I think um, in all the books that he wrote, this was kind of the third one. Um, but it really, in a sense, it came out, I think we were talking about it like in 2001. And it really kind of hit uh, at a time where, um, you know, Promise Keepers was, you know, starting and developing. And there was a big push back to um, biblical manhood. Um, and uh, Eldridge just kind of hit a, um, you know, uh, just, just the right time at the right place, just talking about something that was really important. And this book has become uh, really a, a staple in the life of a lot of guys that I know. Um, and so I remember reading it when I was young and uh, just got challenged by it, got inspired by it, uh, really enjoyed um, that. And so it was a, it was a great journey to, for me to go back and reread it and to think about it. And, uh, you know, there's some things about it I don't like. There's some things about it I love. Uh, and so I wanted to have a conversation with some guys about it. So I invited uh, a couple of the friends that I have here. Uh, we'll start with uh, oldest to youngest. Um, sorry, Mike. <laughs> oh man, that was rough. <laughs> so Mike Thornberry, um, is, uh, is with us and, um, just the, the, the brief, I'll give him the brief bio, right? He's the, uh, Olympian who played handball <laughs> so that narrowed it down real quick, right? Yeah, it did. Uh, and, uh, West Point graduate. Um, uh, but Mike, uh, and his wife, Laura, uh, raising three um, boys, Correct. um, you know, young men, uh, and, uh, he's doing a great job and, uh, and we love having Mike and then, uh, Gabe Boyd. Uh, Gabe and I got to work together for a long time, uh, training young boys into men, um, and uh, he's uh, fantastic, wonderful to be around. Uh, Gabe and his wife Emily are raising four girls. That's right. Uh, but he has a, a great desire, of course, to to have some great godly men out there. Even more so as my girls <laughs> yeah. get older. As those Let girls me tell get you. older, it's like you see those boys, you're like, nope, stay away from my girls. <laughs> um, and then we thought we'd add a. Um, a younger and different perspective. Um, and so I made my son Parker uh, read the book. And so this is his first time through uh, Wild at Heart. And so it'll be interesting to get perspectives. Um, by the time this comes out, Parker will be 22. Uh, so the perspectives of a, um, a young man kind of beginning his journey 
uh, into manhood and what it looks like. And so uh, we're going to start with uh, Wild at Heart. We're going to do um, hopefully four different episodes, three chapters each episode. Uh, and so we're just going to dive in and start talking about it. So who wants to begin? Mike, you want to start us off with kind of your thoughts, um, where you want to start with kind of chapters one, two, three, what kind of jumped out to you in those things? Yeah, it, maybe we'll start with something simple is Eldridge really sets up the premise of the whole book in the first you know, couple of chapters. He starts with kind of three charges for men. Uh, every man's going to have a battle of fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Now, he impacts that towards the end of the book, but he starts with that's the premise. And living biblically, living uh, in biblical masculinity, drives you to those three missions, mm-hmm. and he unpacks what essentially in the first chapter is the standard, and he kind of starts to set up what's holding us back and what we've settled for. Love it. So this is kind of the anchor for the start of the book, and as you're reading these first three chapters, that, that'll tee you off, and that'll get you ready for what we should be expecting out of our life, not what we seem to fall into if we're passive. Yeah, very true. Gabe? Yeah, I, I think even before he gets into those three charges, I, I think the thing that stuck out to me really in the first chapter was uh, the big question that mm-hmm. kind of overarches the, the theme of this book and why another man's book or, or a book on biblical masculinity is is being written. And it's just the question of what is a Christian man? Mm. Uh, and we've said this from the very beginning of this podcast is that this is really what we're after. We're after seeking out a definition of what it is. And really, as you go through this book, I think what John's trying to do is he's trying to present a target for us to start shooting at for young guys um, that are listening to this podcast, something for them to start aiming towards as they start to grow in maturity, but also more specifically in their walk with Jesus, uh, that they are going to start to identify as a Christian man and not just some, uh, some boy that is going around feeding his own flesh. And we'll get into that more later, but as he's going through these things of, of adventure and women and things like that, uh, the whole premise, though, and the backdrop of all of it is, is Jesus, is how, how is my life focused and my identity focused on who I am in Christ uh, and not just who the world tells me or the, the girl that I have on my arm or things like that. Amen. Very good. Good thought. Parker, what was your initial response and reaction? Yeah, I think he, he also started off with saying what a Christian man isn't, or maybe what society or even the church wants a Christian man to be. Okay. Um, he kind of takes the masculinity and he feminizes it, as he says a lot of times, and makes it um, softer and um, more passive. And so he does a good job of talking about what um, not only society, but the church has taken manhood um, and how that has hurt men um, in a lot of different areas. Yeah. So I, it, it's kind of funny. When I first read uh, Wild at Heart, I didn't like it. Um, I didn't like how it started. And, and I, I was um, kind of disappointed because I know that if a book doesn't kind of capture you right at the beginning, sometimes you don't stick through with it. Mm. I think this is one of those books um, that I'm going to recommend that you, whether you like the beginning or don't like the beginning, you stick through because there's so much good stuff coming. Um, but one of the things that just kind of hit me and I, I, I know why he's doing this. Um, but, um, he, he kind of attacked, um, kind of that modern man as being, you know, nice and polite. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like, you know, we, uh, we don't need nice guys, you know, we, we need warriors. And I, and I, I kind of, that, that kind of made me cringe a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, but here's what I was thinking, you know, I understand. And I say this often, um, you know, I'd rather have my kids be godly than good. Okay, uh, I think there's you know too many good kids out there, not enough godly kids out there, and I think that's kind of if you if you stick with that as kind of the the underlying message of what he's trying to get across is um, there are times 
when you have to do things or have to say things that not everybody likes and not everybody agrees with. And I think if we just look at the culture today, right, you're going to, you're going to find that if you, if you're going to walk, right, if you're going to walk with the Lord, you're going to say things that offend people. Right. And I think what he's saying is, um, that too many men fall into that category of, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be mean. Um, and so they settle for nice. They're, um, they're raised to be polite. Um, when we need men who are willing to, to do the hard work and to say the hard things. Now, um, unfortunately there's, there's too much of masculinity that has been pushed into, um, you know, guys who are abusive or guys who are overbearing. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that would be like, well, I'd love to have a nice guy. <laughs> you know, if we could just start yeah. there, have a nice guy. So I, I, you know, I hate that he kind of started with that and maybe culturally things have shifted where, um, you know, that's not a good place to start in our culture today um, because, I, you know, I'm raising three boys and I want my boys to be polite. Uh, that's one of the things, you know, as far as manners and things that we've stressed with our kids um, that I think is very important. Now, does that mean that I don't want them to be warriors and go out there uh, and to take difficult stands and to say things that are true? And the answer is no. But but I also want them to be polite. I, you know, they open the door for their mother. You know, I mean, it's it's that concept that as he begins the book, I wish he didn't start there, but I totally understand why he did. Yeah. Right. And so that, you know, too many men are passive and they settle for being good and they don't move to godly. And I get where he's going with that. So that was my first reaction. on that. I, my, I, I loved it, but I had the opposite reaction. Okay. I love the focus on being a warrior because every man is a warrior. Every man is a leader, but every man has to choose to do both. Okay. So I, I loved him starting with the charge of that. And it immediately put me back into, you know, Jordan Peterson's quote about the world doesn't need nice men. It needs dangerous men who have it voluntarily under control or under control of the man we're following Christ. So I, I didn't mind it as much because, we, you know, we don't have the warrior culture like we did. And he talks about this later in the book where you were taken from your mother, put with the man, put with the tribe, mm-hmm. and taken out to the field mm-hmm. to go do what the men do right. after the age of seven or whatever it was. So we've totally lost the warrior ethos where, okay, now I need to be trained in something other than what my mom has done to discipline me. I need to be trained in manhood. So I, I appreciated that because I see a lack of it, <laughs> a well, total lack of well, it. Well, if, if Jordan Peterson had been around in 2001 and he could have used that quote, it would have helped out a lot to clarify. Yeah. But I think, I think you're right, right? Uh, so many young boys growing up are around so many women and and Eldridge would say that you in a sense become feminized and you don't even know it most of our lower school teachers are women um, and so you're you're constantly around that and to be around men uh, and to have that as you would say right that dangerous side to you but yet under control yes. as, as Christ did perfectly which we consider right we use the word meekness which you know, unfortunately has lost its, its, you know, emphasis in our culture, but, right. But just kind of, you know, that, that horse under control still has power, um, but it's, it's under control. And so we want men to be strong, courageous, brave, in a sense, dangerous, um, but living under control. So they know when to be nice um, and they know when to cross a line to be that, you know, that warrior. I think of David, right. The, you know, the warrior poet, Right. I mean, you know, you got David who's sitting there, you know, playing music one day and, you know, chopping the head off a giant the next day. Right. I mean, you, it, to know when that context is, is super important. And I think that's why maybe Eldridge pushes on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Because so much of our culture 
right? Doesn't reinforce the other part. It reinforced the first part. So I get that. Yeah. I think the other thing that, especially if you're reading this for the first time, and I know I felt this 10 years ago when I read this the first time, Mm -hmm. um, but he uses a lot of outdoor examples. Mm Um, and, and, and that's great. And and I think that there, I just got back from Colorado. And so there is definitely this yearning anytime that you're floating down a river on a raft and you're staring at, you know, nothing but white water. Mm. Uh, and and he makes a lot of references to rock climbing and all these Mm -hmm. like mountain men, like I think of the show mountain men. And like, you look at these guys and you're like, no, that that guy who can build a log cabin on his own with rudimentary tools, like that's a real man right there. Um, and so I think for me, like some of that was discouraging, just not because of anything that I don't have within me, but maybe of the opportunities that I lack because of where I live. Uh, and so even in reading some of this again, like I'm old enough now to know, well, there's a different way, way for me to display courage, um, than jumping off of a rock into a river, not knowing what's underneath. Right. And and so I think some of the examples he uses, uh, are really helpful and they are inspiring. Uh, some of them make me want to pack up and go live off the land. Uh, but at the same time, I know that that's, that's not what God has for me. Uh, and so for me, trying to connect the dots and some of this just takes some maturity, uh, as you read through the book is to figure out, Hey, how do I, um, take the principles that he's using of danger and duty and, um, and even, even just some of the, the more risk things that he mentions in here. How do I take the, these uh, within the context of where I live? Uh, we live in Texas. It's flat. There's, there's no cliff for me to yep. repel off of. Yep. Um, there's no raging river for me to, to go down. Uh, so how, how do I manifest these things, but in, in the context of my own life, particularly where God has me right now? Because yeah. well, so, that whole aspect of, it, of an adventure to live, right? So he talks about that, an adventure to live. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the guy who's an accountant living in New York, right, in a high rise, right, he still has an adventure to live. And, and I think when you read Wild at Heart, you feel like Eldridge is telling you, um, you've got to leave your comfort. Go west, your, young boy. Right, go, go west, young boy. Come out to Colorado. Go whitewater rafting. And I think, I think if, you, if you need an experience for a moment to readjust your you know, settings and go, hey, yeah, that, that was great. But when you come back to whatever your normal is, that's, you still have to live your adventure in the midst of whatever situation you're in. So I, I don't care where you are, you have an adventure to live. And, and I think what Elgis is trying to do is trying to shake you awake to, yeah. to see that reality. Parker, what'd you think about that? Yeah, I, so I've, when I read the first chapter, I thought it was just a big excuse card for men who weren't performing well, uh, men who feel like they've been tamed their whole life. Um, but when you get into the later chapters, um, chapter one becomes incredibly valuable because I think it gets men metaphorically outside. Mm-hmm. Um, it shakes them up and, and encourages them of, hey, you can be something. And then later he says, um, and this is why things hurt. This is why you have been tamed. Um, and so I think chapter one, um, for my first time reading it, I didn't like it. I thought it was um, men who don't do well in the home and who aren't raising their families well are kind of like, oh, he gets me. Nobody else gets me. Yep. But it was important because it was the affirmation that men needed to continue to read this book and be like, okay, now we can open those wounds. Now we can find healing. Um, But they needed affirmation to first open up um, and go West or to go outside and see what God has for him. Yeah. The other thing is he he kind of um, made a statement in the beginning of of, um, the idea that, that a lot of people think of Jesus as kind of a wimp. 
Yeah. Um, and I was just like, it, it's weird. Like I grew up in the church and, and that was never the picture that I had of Jesus. And so I understand how, and I've talked to a lot of men who have problems with the church and the way the church is set up and yada, yada. I mean, just a, a million different things. And so I've heard it before. That is not, you know, my personal experience. Uh, and I think if you read scripture and you read it correctly and you read it well, um, you get the idea that Jesus was, was nothing near a wimp. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, Jesus was the epitome of what a man is and should be. Um, and so even though he writes it and I, I, I think he's trying to make a connection to a, a group of guys um, and he's going to, he's going to later, right. You know, try to connect us in the right way to Christ. I, I just, I, I would hate for somebody to read the first couple chapters and stop and not continue on because you're getting kind of a, you know, not a great message of what the church should be sending and what the Bible actually teaches about the person of, of who Christ is. Yeah, he's not just meek and mild. He's right. a servant leader, a warrior king, and the great physician. So it, there's yeah. more than the definition that we let the world gloss over as a nice teacher. Yeah. What else? Anything else in the first couple chapters? Do you have a nugget? Well, I, the, the third kind of tees up our next podcast, yeah. which it talks about the question that haunts every man. And and I, I've had this play too much on repeat, and I've seen the sequel in my mind too many times. Am I blank enough? You know, the fear that the enemy likes to plant between the 12 inches in your ears of am I strong enough? Am I good enough? Am, mm -hmm. am I a man mm -hmm. enough for whatever, wherever I'm at? Yeah. And it's just this acknowledgement that answering that question against the world standard is the first trap the enemy puts. Yeah. Uh, it's never going to be am I <laughs> blank enough. It's going to be the I am is enough, and if I can rest there, then I don't have to listen to that question. Then I can listen to what God tells me. And this is kind of the tee up to what questions are we asking ourselves as we're going to get into you know what he defines as the wound that we carry or how we define ourselves by our sin. Yeah. So th this third chapter question of am I enough kind of harkens back to what he's saying is, you know, how are you defining your manhood? Are you defining it based on some performance standard that you got? Or are you going to define it biblically based on what I've told you? Yeah. And I think so many men take the easy route um, and define it in whatever their area of excellence is mm. compared to whatever men they can find that are doing worse than they are in that particular area. Yeah. The so, word so, hair right. you so just I'm, used. I'm, I'm wealthier than this, or, yeah. you know, my wife's prettier than that, or, um, you know, I'm more successful at this and I find a group of people, right, that I'm doing better than, right? And so therefore I feel like I'm significant and I'm meaningful because I've got this. Um, and Eldridge is saying that's that's not the comparison you want to have. That's not the question you want to be asking. Um, but so often that's what the world gives us is that question of am I enough? Um, and so many men, right, are fearful because the, the answer they know is no, you're not. That, that's my trap. Yeah. So that's the trap I laid for myself. I am good enough. Look at my resume. Yep. Look at everything I've done. And then I'm going to present it to my kids, my wife, and say, you should worship me. Yes. Look at this resume. I'm, Hey, you're lucky to be married to me. And the Lord's just like, you don't get it, buddy. None of that matters. Because yeah. you don't want to see my scorecard for you. You don't want to see all the things you failed at. If you actually embrace that scorecard, man, you would fall to your knees and just be thankful that you're breathing. Yeah. But, and the great thing is he's going to get to this, yes. and that is your scar, scorecard is going to get replaced with Christ. Mm. That's that's going to be your substitute. You're going to get his, and you're going to get to live right the, the life right, that you would live on your own by your score. You're going to live now his, 
yeah. right, with his scorecard, his righteousness, and you get to do something totally different with it. So it's it it is a, it's a good setup, and that chapter three really does lead us into mm-hmm. right where where he's going to take us from there. So what else? Anything yeah. else? I think even even in in light of all of what you guys just said, I, I think. The reason I love chapter three is for exactly what you've said about mm-hmm. it's setting up the rest of the book. Uh, and again, this is going to point back to answering that initial question of what is a Christian man, right? And it's really an identity question. It is. Uh, and he even mentions in here of like how often, like even as you read this book, you can start to misconstrue your identity based on what you think your purpose is. That your purpose isn't the thing that creates your identity. Your identity is the thing that gives you purpose in this life. Uh, and so I think as he's starting to ask some of these questions of like, ask, do you have the courage to ask other people what they think of you? Mm. Well, at the end of the day, like some of that is valuable information. But at the end of the day, like I want to go to the scripture. I want to remember what God thinks of me, uh, how much he loves me for all the reasons that you just stated, Dan. Uh, and, and so I think that's a really, a really um, important thing to notice here in chapter three is that our purpose does not. Uh, give us identity. Our identity gives us purpose. And that's really what the rest of this book is as we start to track down what is the heart of a man? What is the heart of a Christian man? And then what do I do as I try to live out of that heart which God has rescued uh, inside of me? I love it. Say that part again now, um, the the identity part that you said. Yeah, I I just said that um, our purpose doesn't identify us, doesn't doesn't define who we are. What we're doing isn't what who we are, but rather our identity is what gives us purpose. Mm. I love that. I love that. I I think of um, in James, um, it talks about the man who walks by uh, the mirror, right, and he and he stops and he looks at the mirror um, and he considers what he sees, uh, and then he goes on. And James basically says that the hard part is. The only thing you can see when you look in the mirror is the outside appearance, your physical appearance. And I think that's where most of us settle, right? And, and Gabe, as you said, right, we ask people, what do you think of me? Um, and a lot of their perception of us isn't heartfelt, isn't, isn't, well, isn't heart deep. It's not the spiritual aspect, right? It's, you know, um, you know, you're doing well in this or you're nice here or whatever. Um, but James says that the thing is, is if we don't consider the true mirror, right, and that is the word of God that reflects to us who we are in Christ, then we're not really taking into consideration the whole being of who we are, right? So we're not only body, soul, but we're spirit as well. Um, and so James is saying, right, those, those three things together have to be considered. You, you should be able to look into a mirror uh, and see what you look like physically. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I told Parker this morning, I got on the scale, right? And the scale gave me a particular number this morning, right? And that's an evaluation of where I am in one aspect of life physically, Okay. Um, there's other parts of me, right? There's the emotional, the mental, um, the intellectual, right? And there's things that you can do, right? But the spiritual part of it, you need to have that evaluation. Uh, and the only one who can tell you where you are spiritually, right, is God. And he does that through his word. And so uh, men, as we go out and we, we chapter one, two, three, right, is asking that question, are you enough? Who are you, right? If you're going to ask those questions and not take into consideration what the word of God says about you, Right then, you're missing um, the fundamental piece of who you are and who you're made to be, and that's what God says about you. And you'll let the world define it. And you'll let the world define it. So, we're going to stop here, chapter one, two, three. I hope you will go get the book, pick it up, start reading it, because chapter four, 
uh, is going to start digging in a little deeper and it's going to start to hurt um, next week. So hopefully you guys will join us next week to hear more about Wild at Heart. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.